Well, good morning. We are in the season of Advent, a time when the church remembers that God has come to us and that God will again come to us. And this year as a church, we are reading and talking about what God brings when he comes. As Pastor Aaron said last week, we are looking at the things that were planted as good and strong seeds when Jesus first came. They're growing quietly and patiently now. And the hope is that when Jesus comes again, they will be among the towering trees that shade the kingdom of God. Last week, we began our Advent series looking at the idea of justice coming. And today, we are going to continue our series by looking at peace promised and given to us by our God. We need this message of true peace offered to us and promised to us. We need this message of peace in the midst of brokenness, struggles, and hardships that we all face as we wait for the towering tree of peace to come in fullness in God's coming kingdom. So I'm going to read for us from this section from the last chapter of the book of Isaiah. This whole chapter is an amazing chapter to the end of this great prophecy that shows all that God does despite the failings of people. In the section I'm going to read, it's a beautiful picture of peace and comfort and hope offered to unworthy people like you and me. And it's wonderful, I think, for us to reflect upon this during the Advent season. So I'm going to read from Isaiah 66, 7 through 14. You can follow along in your order of worship or just listen as I read. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before pain came upon her, she delivered a son. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall a lamb be born in one day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children. Shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to be born, to bring forth, says the Lord? Shall I, who cause to bring forth, shut the womb, says your God? Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her. Rejoice with her in joy, all you who mourn over her, that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast, that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. For thus says the Lord, behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you shall nurse, you shall be carried upon her hip, and bounced upon her knees. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You shall see, and your heart shall rejoice. Your bones shall flourish like grass, and the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants. And he shall show indignation against his enemies. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your prophet Isaiah. We thank you for the ways that he points to you, to your son, to the need that we have for hope and restoration and peace, and for the promise that begins slowly in your kingdom. But we know one day will come in fruition. We long for that day. But until then... May you meet us now by your spirit and your word to strengthen and encourage us in our walk. In your name, amen. Well, there's an awesome video that's been going around recently that I'm sure many of you have seen. It's a video of a little six-year-old boy uh, telling his mom the part that he gets to play in a nativity play. He tells her that it's a classic role. And so the mom tries to guess. The mom says, is it Joseph? And he says, no. He says, well, is it one of the three wise men? He says, no. And she asks a little bit more. And then finally she says, what is the classic part you get to play? And with pure joy, he says, I'm door holder number three. 
I'll be holding doors. I love this video so much. I love it not just because of the awesome accent of this little kid, but I love it because I wish I even had half the joy and the excitement for things in my life. I wish I had just a small bit of the excitement about the part that he gets to play. In fact, he's so proud of this part. He tells his mom when he heard the news, he said, I'm a door holder. Get in there. Let's go. Yes. I love his excitement about the role he gets to play. And I also love his mom's response. She celebrates with her son. She has joy in her son's role. I mean, she could have said, uh, you know, that's not really a classic role. She could have said, you know, they actually have door stoppers that can do the job they're asking you to do. But of course, the mom would not say that to her son. Well, I thought about this video as I worked on this passage this week. I thought about that video and how we should respond to all that we've been given by God. And I also thought about how God, even when we don't respond as well as we should, still gives us love and care like a mom. From the onset of this book of Isaiah up to this last chapter, the central problem that Isaiah has been identifying in the human race is self-exaltation. We lift ourselves up to gain power, recognition, and status. The classic role that humans want, including you and me, is to be the star of the show. The reason the people Isaiah is prophesying to were sent into exile was because of their pride, their self-reliance, and their lack of hearing and responding to God's word and God's plan for them as his people. Just before this passage that I read, at the beginning of this chapter, Isaiah says these words from God. This is who God's looking for. God says, this is the one to whom I look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. This is who God looks for, the humble and the contrite. Those that are excited to play the role God has given them as daughters and sons of the king. The classic role that all of us get to play is being God's children, humble and contrite in spirit, following his word and living out his kingdom in our lives. And when we fail at this calling, which we all do, God still loves us, provides for us, cares for us. We see in our passage this morning a beautiful picture of God like a mother celebrating us loving us, offering us the rest and the peace and the comfort we do not deserve. So as we begin looking at this passage today, the context is that Israel has failed in their calling, and so they were going to be sent into exile, into captivity. The brokenness of this situation is likened in Isaiah to being barren, being hopeless. Jerusalem is destroyed. Zion is no more. And yet something unexpected and undeserving is promised to the people of God. The birth language found in the first few verses of our, of our passage signifies the radical and abrupt news of God's work, of God's plan, of God's unexpected gift of life, peace, and comfort. The promise of chapter 1 in this great book of Isaiah is going to come to fruition. Yes, there's going to be terrible grief forecasted for Zion. The city will be stripped and barren. Children will be slaughtered. The people will be in great darkness and pain and in exile. But that is not the end of the story. Destruction is not God's ultimate goal. But instead, it's peace and fulfillment and life for his people. 
Jerusalem is to know abundance and blessing again. And this will happen like a sudden miraculous birth violating all normal sequences and procedures of birth. I mean, just think about what Isaiah says in these verses before us. This birth promise is going to happen before there is any pain or labor. Verse 7 says, before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before pain came upon her, she delivered a son. And this verse doesn't provide, or this birth doesn't provide one child, or two children, or three children, but a whole new people of God. Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment, verse 8 says? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children. It is so sudden and startling, it can only be a work of God himself. Verse 9 says, shall I bring it to the point of birth and not cause it to bring forth? All shall I cause to bring to forth to shut the womb, says God? Zion will give birth to a movement that cannot be contained. Yahweh will override the barrenness and hopelessness of the situation Jerusalem and all of God's people were in as they are in exile. Instead of Zion being seen as a failure or even worse, as a harlot, it has become a faithful city and a mother of nations. Jerusalem becomes what it is always meant to be as the city of God. Now when does this prophecy happen? When do these things happen in the life of God's people? Is there a specific historical event we can point to? Well, probably not. I like what theologian John Calvin and others have said. It seems like these promises begin at the return of God's people from exile. It continues as God continues to provide for them as a nation. It continues all the way up till the birth of Jesus and to the birth of the church at Pentecost. It's continuing now in the work of Jesus presently, and it will continue to the end when the second coming of Jesus comes and his reign is full. That's why I love that we're looking at this passage during Advent. Some of what is promised here in Isaiah has come true, and some of it is what we are longing for to happen. And we can believe that God has begun the work of his kingdom moving and creating a city full of peace and prosperity that experiences comfort and hope from God and can offer that to our weary world as well. It has begun and we long for the day when this prophecy will be complete. And we can know that it will happen. Because this beautiful city promised a peace and joy and abundance is not dependent on any of us because we can't do it. We can't create this. We do not have the power to bring it about. This is a work of God, and only God can make it happen. That's why in verse 8, we see these rhetorical questions given. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such a thing? Shall a lamb be born in a day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? Humanly speaking, the answer is no. None of us have seen this. It can't happen. But God will make it happen. So in faith, our call is to believe God will make it happen, and our response should be one of joy. <laughs> Gratitude and joy. Verse 10 says, Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her. The sheer astonishment and the unexpected gift of God should invoke in us unrestrained joy. Verse 15 describes how we should be, that our hearts shall rejoice and our bones flourish like the grass. And so we have to ask is this true about us at all today? Do we have any joy in our lives? 
Do we celebrate all that God has done and continues to do today? Does the unexpected power and grace of God shown on display in this passage cause any of us to feel joy that God offers us these great gifts? Does the fact that we get to play a part in God's kingdom and in our city and our world by pointing people to the hope of God and his kingdom that's coming with power and glory give us any joy at all? Again, back to the opening illustration, that kid had pure joy just being a door holder. Imagine if we were known as people who had joy because we get to live out our roles as God's children, serving and loving and caring others. In a sense, opening the door for others to hear about the good news of Jesus. Imagine what it would look like for us today to have this child life wonder and awe as we think about that Christ has come and Christ will come again. Imagine what it would be for us, not just during the season, but as we move into the new year, to believe that God does satisfy and supply all our needs. So many of us, and I would put myself top on this list, try to supply what we need on our own. So many of us have this grasping, individualistic, self-sufficient tendency in our lives. We just need to work harder. We just need to be better. We just need to do more, and then our needs will be met. There is such a dangerous in, danger in my life, and maybe in your life as well, of this arrogance that we believe that we and of ourselves have something <clears throat> we need to supply all the needs we need. So we don't need others. We don't need God. We got what we need. We got what we need to meet our own needs. So maybe this season of Advent is a time when we ask God to show us the ways we're trying to depend on our own needs rather than what God provides us. Maybe today is a day where we ask God to show us ultimately what is our real need. Because listen, despite what the world says and despite what our hearts might say, our needs are not met by our own work, but by being in a position to receive the results of God's work. To this point, Isaiah uses the imagery of a baby nursing and being satisfied in verse 11. A baby does nothing to satisfy its own needs. It needs something else to provide what it needs. And this idea of a content baby being satisfied by something outside itself is a beautiful reminder for you and me that the peace and the satisfaction and the contentment and the fulfillment we want is provided for us from our God. The source of true strength in our lives, true nourishment and deep contentment does not come from within. It comes from God who supplies all our needs. And one of the big needs that we need is the theme of this sermon. We need peace. We need shalom. We need the rest and the wholeness and the satisfaction that God offers to us. Our God promises the ultimate blessing of a true relationship with him, which is the ultimate shalom and peace we need and desire. Verse 12 says, Behold, I'll extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. See, this is peace not like the world offers that quickly fades away. But the peace of God, shalom, rest, wholeness, and satisfaction is offered to us now. And what this means for Isaiah's day and for us is all the brokenness of Zion will be put back together. All the brokenness of the sin of the people that caused them into exile and the sin of you and me in this room right now is carried away by the river of peace. And all that was lost by disobedience will be restored. 
the promise of peace in this passage, alongside the promise of a miraculous birth without pain and labor, harkens back to the curse in Genesis. The peace that was lost in the garden is being restored. The painless birth here is a symbol of Eden being restored and the curse being removed. One of the results of our first parents' sin in the garden was pain and suffering and death. And one day that will all be gone. The Prince of Peace has come to provide us the peace we need from sin and pain and death. And we long for that day to come. We long for the shalom of God to be here where true rest and wholeness is experienced by all in God's coming kingdom. We long for this day, but what about now? Many of us can know and believe that peace will one day come fully. But what about today and the struggles we face? Is there any hope for peace today? For some of us, perhaps we're in a season of waiting for peace and rest and satisfaction. And we're pretty discouraged. For some of us, there's great disappointment in what's been going on in our lives. There's a longing for things to be made right and nothing seems to change. Some of you today might be feeling really alone right now. You may put on a good face here in church, but you're feeling empty and alone. Maybe you feel lost and hopeless and empty. Some of you might be just so unsatisfied with your life right now, the year is ending and you're disappointed that it's another discouraging end to a terrible year. And maybe some of you are not looking forward to the season we're moving into. Maybe you're dreading a Christmas without a loved one for the first time. Maybe you're worried about a family dynamic that will arise during the holidays, a, a family member that intentionally or unintentionally makes you feel shame or unloved or worthless. Maybe some of you have been waiting for change, waiting for good news, and it doesn't seem to come. We know that the new Jerusalem promises us hope and peace and comfort, but what about now? Where in our pain and struggles today do we find peace? Well, I think at the end of verse 12, into verse 13 is a beautiful, amazing picture of true peace as we see our God like a mom carrying us and comforting us. This is what God says to us today. Verse 12 says, thus says the Lord. And listen to what he promises to you and me. You shall nurse. You shall be carried upon her hip and bounced upon her knees. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. God comforts his people like a mom comforts her child. The truth of Scripture, the truth of the season of Advent is that the Father has sent his Son into the world to birth us into the kingdom of God, and so we are his beloved children today. And our God, like a mother, offers us courage and strength and nourishment and peace and hope. God leans into us in our sorrow and pain. He doesn't stand at a distance with our struggles he doesn't stand arm's length from our pain, but he promises to nurse, carry, and comfort us. And listen, I want to acknowledge that talking about a mother caring for a child in and of itself could cause pain for some of you right now. Perhaps your relationship with your mother is complicated right now. Perhaps the memories you have of how presently or in the past you have been treated is hard for you to think about God being a mother who offers nourishment and peace and comfort. Or maybe this idea of motherhood is hard for you because you want to be a mom and you're not. Or maybe you're having a hard time being a mom right now. It's just a hard season of life for you. Or maybe the loss of a child 
makes you think about motherhood is just painful and raw. It's safe to say that the, the idea of motherhood is not always encouraging for some. It's actually raw and painful. The messiness of complicated relationships, the messiness of longing for something that God doesn't seem to answer, the messiness of suffering loss in our broken world is part of the reason why we need the peace promised to us in this passage and throughout Scripture. We need a God who comes towards us in the pain and cares for us better than any of us could ever care for anyone in this world, including our own children. We need a God who loves us and responds to us as a loving, perfect God who enters into our pain and suffering. And thinking about this passage this week and thinking about the pain and the messiness this might cause some of you to think about, it made me reflect upon an amazing talk I heard a few years ago by Abby Hutto. She's a director of spiritual formation at a church in Ohio. And she gave a talk at a conference I was at, and the whole talk was amazing. But I just want to share a little bit of what she said in regards to seeing God like he is described here in this passage. Abby was talking about the messiness of life and the mess that we find ourselves in, and she asked us all at the question this, or asked us all at the conference this. How do you picture God responding to you as you sit in your mess? And this is what she said. I think we often picture God standing there looking at us as he weighs the pros and cons of reaching out to us. That is not what the image of the nursing mother tells us. What God is saying is that he responds to us on an instinctual level. He hears our cry and his heart leans in towards us. He responds to us from someplace deep inside him. God is not standing there trying to decide if he should be faithful to you or if you deserve his comfort. Your tears invoke an instinctive response. You cry out, and he leans in. We cry out, and our God leads in. How do you picture God responding to you right now? How do you imagine God's thoughts are you right now in your struggles, in your sin? in your doubts, in your pain. In all things, God says to us today, as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. God hears our cry, and his heart leans in towards us. He, like another prophet, Zephaniah puts it, quiets us with his love and rejoices over us with singing. God is a God of comfort and peace. And even when the weight of the world and the weight of sin, and even we can't see power to overcome the sin and the injustice and the struggles of our world, we can come to God for comfort. We can receive encouragement and comfort just like a child does on his mother's lap. May we believe this today for the first time or the thousandth time. Peace is offered to us by the one who came as a child and lived the life we could never live and died the death we deserve in order to get peace. Peace is offered to us by the Prince of Peace who came and will come again to set this weary world free. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your love and we thank you for your peace. We pray that as we think about who you are and who we are, that we will be reminded how much you love us, how much you care for us, how much you provide all we need for us. And as we continue in our worship, may it be as children who know that we are loved by a God who deeply cares for us and offers us the comfort we need. In your name.
Amen.